0: Brother Pat and I had a brief encounter before service started over the fact that there seemed to be so few songs about the resurrection. And if you stop and think about that, it's true. Don't do it now, but if you were to flip in the back of your hymn book, you'll find that the part about resurrection is awfully small compared to the birth of Christ and the cross of Christ. And and I wonder why that is because I made this statement sometime in the last week. When you read your Bible... The early church was fixed on the resurrection. Now, don't don't get me wrong, they understood the importance of the cross, but they were fixated on the resurrection. And why is that? Well, the the reason we have so many songs about the cross, I don't know, it's kind of like a which came first, the chicken or the egg thing. I don't know if it's uh if it's the gospel of the forgiveness of sins took over first, so the singing. Became about the cross, or whether the singing became about the cross, and that's how we developed the gospel of the forgiveness of sins. I don't know, but when your gospel is just about the forgiveness of sins, you will just sing about the cross. That that's enough, because resurrection is about new life. And see, it it's more as we've been learning. It's more than a gospel of the forgiveness of sins. It's a gospel of life in Jesus. You see, resurrection is Philippians 3.10 stuff. Paul said, I count everything but lost that I might have the power of his resurrection on my life. I'm crucified with Christ, he said. Nevertheless, I live. Most people in the modern church would just say, yeah, I'm crucified with Christ. Thank God one day I'll live. One day I'll live. No, I live now. Why? Because He lives. That's the power of the resurrection And so I hope we can kind of push against some of that today with the message this morning I'd like to preach this morning and bring a message on the new temple of the risen lord The new temple of the risen lord. I want to give it to you right up front So you'll know what i'm talking about the new temple of the risen lord I want you to look in luke chapter 24 and i'll go there in just a moment like many of you I'm sure I spent part of my morning prayer time reading through the resurrection accounts of the gospels and As much as we cannot imagine the pain and the darkness of the crucifixion and and its effect on the disciples, I I think neither can we fully grasp what they must have experienced when they saw the risen Jesus. But we will. We will. You know, the choir sung about it a little bit ago. That song said, I've just seen Jesus and I'll never be the same again. that's that resurrection power. And, and that's what it's about. It's about seeing the risen Lord. There's been some confusion over the morning's events when you get here, right? A lot of confusion. If you, you've been reading the as you know, what's going on? What's happened? You know, they come early to the tomb, and the stone's been rolled away, and his body's gone, and there's some confusion. Uh, there's been confusion among uh, the, the, the Romans. There'll be confusion among the Jewish religious leaders, Confusion among the disciples There have been think about all this happened. There's been angelic appearances Which they're still trying to piece together. What are they talking about? There, there's been more importantly Jesus appearances And those have really stirred things up. You know, the first one he appeared to was mary magdalene I don't know all the reasons why I don't have all the answers But what an honor to be the first one to see the risen Lord She was confused at first, but you know that visit with Mary turned into a time of rejoicing right there in the garden (laughs) Right there by the tomb Well, I tell you what the garden's been a special place, hasn't it? It all it all came down crashing down in a garden a long time ago But boy here a little bit closer to our day It got all put back together in a garden and Jesus was buried in a tomb in a garden But that morning there was rejoicing by that empty tomb in the garden here in a little while he meets with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus and they're a little confused too but that was a, a, an encounter of reminding and when they met him he reminded them of all that the bible had said and reminded them of all that it, all of it was necessary it had to happen and so what a great time and then of course before he vanished they they discerned that it was him there had been the encounter with peter now i know there's the encounter in in uh in chapter 21 of john but there seems to have been some other encounter. I, I, I don't know when it happens, but it's referred to by Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 15. And it's referred to in uh, one of the gospel accounts here on the, on the resurrection that he'd appeared to Cephas. I think it's Mark 16 that says it. And I know this. I know that whenever that, that, that encounter happened, whenever Peter first saw him, I, I, I speculate and use my imagination a little bit, it could be that it wasn't a, a, a exchange of words encounter. You remember the last time Peter had seen Jesus, it was a look. It was out and Peter had been by the fire and he denied the Lord three times and the, Jesus looked at him and Peter saw Jesus and he went out and wept bitterly. And I just wonder if somewhere that morning Peter had had an encounter where he saw the Lord and, and uh, maybe even like those disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't understand it at first. When he first saw him, something looked familiar, but it wasn't clear. And as he walked away, it dawned on him, was that him? I'll tell you this, for Mary it was an encounter of rejoicing and for those Emmaus disciples it was an encounter of reminding. But for Peter it was an encounter of restoration. He was restoring Peter from that place that he had failed to and thank God for his mercy and grace. I think about the eleven. They're in the upper room and later he appears to them. Just, I mean, they're sitting there, they're all talking about it. The, the, the women have come back and said, we saw him. Peter's probably said something or maybe he's holding back i don't know but he's thinking about all this and then these two disciples from emmaus come running in and they say hey we just saw the lord and they're all trying to figure out i i just don't know about this i mean yeah i know we saw some angels peter and john you know and and about that time jesus appears in the room and he says peace peace be unto you fellas Calm down, everybody. It's all right. I told you from the beginning this was going to be okay. I mean, that's my interpretation of that. Peace be unto you. But that encounter was an encounter of rebuking. The Bible says that he rebuked them because of their unbelief, because they had not believed the things that he'd said. I don't believe he rebuked them in a harsh, mean way. I believe he just spoke truth that caused their hearts to melt and say, Oh, yes, Lord, we should have remembered what you said. And that word remembers prominent in this whole whole thing because you know one of the problems that the people of god have always had is forgetting haven't we and uh, he uses that word a lot in the resurrection day but i want to call your attention now to the end of luke chapter 24 because the resurrection having happened the final thing that jesus gives the disciples and us is the great commission but i want to see something in this today luke 24 we'll begin reading verse 45 and uh Luke 20, 24, not 23. I'll get with you where you guys are. There we are. Then opened he their understanding. Now this is in the upper room with the disciples. That they might understand the scriptures. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. That'd be the spirit of God. We're going to talk about that promise in a moment. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. What a moment that must have been. I'd like to stay and just meditate on that one a little bit. Like just to to think back over three years of time. All they'd seen. All they'd experienced. Words that flooded their soul. You know it did because they copied them down for us. And in that moment of some confusion, some uncertainty, but faith and trusting Him, knowing that our Lord is risen and He's about to leave, we don't understand it all, but He reaches out His hands and He blesses them. What a moment that must have been. And it came to pass, while He blessed them, He was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Boy, they saw some things... Other people have never seen, but one day we will. And they worshiped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And verse 53 is of interest this morning, and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. I tell you something happened to those fellas and those ladies that day. I mean it, that, I mean they had been being changed, but oh, I tell you, resurrection changes everything. Knowing Jesus lives changes everything. And more importantly, knowing the Jesus that lives changes everything. I want to focus on verse 53 for just a few moments. And I could begin to preach here on the subject of being faithful to attend church. I could preach on serving in the church and not missing church uh, if you're a disciple. And I'd be right in preaching that. I believe you could get that out of this. Our faithful participation in the church is vital to our own Christian growth, and to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And we could make that case from this text, this passage, and I will mention all of that again, but that is not the message of the hour. We know the disciples did depart from this day, this experience, and we know they were faithful to worship daily in the temple. Because Acts chapter 2 tells us in verse 46 and 47, And they, continuing daily with one accord, In the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God. And having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And right in the middle of that, you cannot deny that the practice of coming together at the appointed times of worship is vital to our Christian life. It is vital to the Great Commission. And when the world sees the church united uh, and the world sees the church loving Jesus, uh, then sinners will be converted and they will come to Christ. Why are there no great movements of people being born again in our day? Why is everybody getting born again, getting born again out of the church pews? It makes you think, doesn't it? The world doesn't see what I think they were seeing that day. Oh, but see, he lives. So we can have that. We can have that kind of resurrection life in our life when you go out on the job and you're out at the grocery store and you're doing all those day-to-day things. People ought to see something of your love for Jesus that would compel them to come and say, tell us about this truth that you have in your heart. Peter and John would encounter a lame man outside the gate of the temple in Acts 5 because they were on their way to the hour of prayer. But there's another application that I want to bring to you this morning. One tied directly to the resurrection of Jesus. One which is even greater and more a heart uplifting and it is this. The reason that they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God from that time on is because from that day on they began to understand that they now were the temple of God. Friends, something changed on this occasion they not only, or they no longer had to just go to the temple, but it was dawning upon them that a promise that had been foretold for centuries had now come to pass, that they themselves had become the temple of God. And my friends, this is an exciting and convicting and energizing and demanding and wonderful and worshipful truth. You see, long had God promised that there would come a day when He would no longer be above His people, no longer be around His people, but He would be in His people. And Ezekiel had captured this. Ezekiel chapter 36. Listen to these verses. Verse 26 and 27. A new heart also will I. I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, uh, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. You see, for all these many years and all these many centuries, they had gone to the temple to pray. They had gone to the temple to make offerings and sacrifices and get blessings. And they had gone to the temple to fulfill all their obligations. But now, something has changed. Something is new. You see, that veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom when Jesus died on the cross. An old church, a new hour had come into the world. Hebrews chapter 10, listen to these verses. Verse 19 through 22. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, we have become the ones who can enter into the holiest place anytime, anywhere, in any place. This had been promised and foretold and hoped for for thousands of years from the first days of building the tabernacle in the wilderness with Moses all the way to Solomon's temple. Through it all, there had been a promise, and there was a hope that one day God would no longer have to be found in a certain place. And at a certain time. Do you remember when Jesus had that encounter with the Samaritan woman? Let's pick up it in chapter 4 of John, verse 20. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, she said. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You see church... Jesus had made this declaration. John chapter 2, verse 18 and 22. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Do you know what Jesus had done? He just ran them out of the temple. He just proclaimed that a new sheriff was in town. And they said, Who gives you the authority? What, what, show us a sign. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. And when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the Scripture and the Word which Jesus had said Now friends listen Jesus died bodily And he rose bodily But he now has another body To go with that body You see Ephesians five thirty, Paul says for we are members of his body Of his flesh and of his bones And Paul said in Romans chapter 12 Verse 4 and 5 For as we have many members in one body And all members have not the same office So we being many are one body in Christ And everyone members one of another And in those last days, before the cross, Jesus, if you remember, had spent a lot of time in and around the temple. That's no coincidence. Every day he went into Jerusalem, he made a beeline to the temple. And when he was in the temple in all those days, you remember he cleansed the temple? You remember he was teaching daily in the temple? You remember he was confronted by the Pharisees and the leaders in the temple? And in Matthew 21, he gave them this, Parable which I mentioned during the Jubilee meeting, and it captured my attention and still holds my attention. He said to him in Matthew twenty-one verse forty-two and verse forty-four. He said, "Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. That is the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof." And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it shall grind him to powder. And I want you to know that Jesus was telling them a new day has come. This temple's about to come down. But I'm going to be laid as the chief cornerstone of the new temple. And if you don't build on me, friends, you're going nowhere. If you don't build on me, you have no hope. You don't have any life. Jesus said, I will be the cornerstone of the new temple he'd been in the temple watching the widow give her two mites and when they had come out the disciples were in all of the temple's magnificence and in Luke 21 verse 5 and 6 some spake of the temple how it was adorned with godly stones and gifts he said as for these things which ye behold Jesus said the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down oh you see they their whole life they'd been in all that temple I mean many of them they got to maybe go to Jerusalem maybe once in a lifetime. Some may never have made it. I'm talking about Jewish people scattered all over the place. the the temple was special in that special city known as Jerusalem and they're standing there looking at it saying oh look at what we've got Uh, look at what God has given us Uh, I mean they were impressed with all that outward religion Uh, they were impressed with all those formalities they were impressed with all those systems of rules uh, and regulations Uh, they were impressed with their religion uh, and how devout it made them feel Uh, but Jesus said I'm giving you a heads up boys Uh, it's all coming down Uh, I'm bringing down the house Uh, it's going to be a new world And friends it was when Jesus rose from the grave There's a new temple Clearly this had been a regular point of emphasis for Jesus Because even when he was on the cross They threw it back in his face Matthew 27 verse 39 and 40 And they that passed by reviled him Wagging their heads and saying Oh thou that destroyest the temple And buildest it in three days How about just save yourself Can you do that? Show us what you can do. Oh, great one that's going to bring the temple down and build it back in three days. And they said, if thou be the Son of God, come down off the cross. They mocked him for saying it. He had not made it a secret. They just didn't understand. It's been a true sore spot for them the whole time. It was a threat to their religion. And we who believe have been now made part of this new temple. And the wonderful doctrine of the holy indwelling of God is always a threat to religion. I'm going to step out on a little line of boldness and say there's some of you this morning that are perplexed and bored to tears out of your mind. You've got no clue what I'm talking about. I want to invite you to listen to your heart this morning. I want to invite you to examine yourselves and find out why, why am I not stirred by this doctrine? What's going on in my life? To think that as the Bible had said, God, the holy God would come and dwell in us. And we would give him a wink and a nod. There's something wrong, something wrong. Paul had wrote about this great mystery in Colossians 1 verse 25 and 27. He said, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Listen, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations and is now made manifest to the saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's in you this morning? Who's in you this morning? Who's Lord of your life? Who guides your life? Who sits upon the throne of your heart this morning? Is it Christ? Is it the risen Lord? Because if he sits upon the throne of your heart, you're a part of a new temple. And that ought to cause us to be a little interested in what that means. I'm a little interested in what that means. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says again, verse 19 and 22, now therefore ye are no more strangers and fortune. Now, remember who he's writing to. He's writing to the people in Ephesus. He's writing to Gentiles. He's writing to those that not only had they just been going to the temple and feeling like maybe they weren't worthy, they weren't even allowed to go to the temple. He's writing to Gentile dogs, heathen people, ungodly people. And he says, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone." stone, in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. He said, you're not outcast anymore. You're not strangers anymore. You are stones in the temple that God is building. Now that does compel a question. If I'm a part of the temple, How, outside of this gathering this morning, has any worship, praise, offerings, and sacrifices been made in my life? Because it ain't about this building. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It ain't even about this hour on Sunday morning. We just do that so everybody knows when to show up. I'm going to be honest with you. There's people all over the world that meet at other times. I don't care if you meet on Friday night. I don't care if you meet on Thursday at lunch. I don't care when you meet. The church needs to get together. We set a time so you know when to show up. But if you show up just to get in on it and then get back out of it and go about your life, friend, you're not a part of the temple. The temple's always the temple. And it doesn't matter where we are. you ever seen those, uh, I don't know, I'm thinking of something, probably carnal. Uh, I know it's in a movie, but I can't remember what. How they would set up, you know, they set up those different places and they shoot those beams to create like a field around things, you know. I mean, that's how we are. I mean, you see that stuff and you think, man, that's the church right there. I mean I may be over here on this side of town and Noah may be over there on that side of town and you may be on that other town and you may be in the other state but boy, wherever the temple is we've created a place of worship for God and inside that temple daily we're offering up sacrifices and praises to the Lord and we're lifting our voices in song and we're making prayers. They used to have to go to the temple but now we are the temple daily, hourly, All day long, that's what's going on in the temple. Aren't you glad to be a part of the temple of God? Aren't you glad to be a part of the building and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? We're part of something big. We're part of something that's relentless. We're part of something that the gates of hell can't prevail us from pressing into. That's what we're a part of. This brings with it so much joy. But it brings with it so much soberness of mind. I'm ecstatic when I think of who I am in Jesus, but I am also brought to a mind of understanding the great responsibility that that conveys on me. Let me say again, this is a mystery which had been foretold through the prophets. This time of the holy indwelling, when God would come to live in man. First, He did it in Jesus, and then to all who believe. Jesus is the cornerstone of the new temple. And the apostles and the prophets, they make the foundation upon which we are built into the living temple of the living God. Paul goes on to make it clear that we, as the new temple of God, that that brings with it certain uh, expectations. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. I encourage you to write these down so you can look at them later. He says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are? He said, you're the temple of God. And that makes you holy. Now live holy. He agrees with Peter. He says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 and 20, He says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. He says flee fornication. Fornication and idolatry are almost synonymous in the Bible. Because it's whatever we turn to to seek pleasure in our life rather than to turn our hearts to God. Rather than to let God be God, we turn ourselves over to other things. We take the gifts of the great giver and we make those gifts the giver. Right? We take the good things that come from God and we use them in the wrong way and we defile ourselves and we give ourselves to idols. Don't do that. You're the temple of God. You ought not to live that way. You're the temple of God. Now, can, 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 can the stones of the temple do such things? Well, apparently they can because we're warned about it. We're told, hey, don't do that. We're told, hey, flee, run away from that fornication. What'd you do last night? What'd you watch yesterday? What'd you invite into your soul? What'd you let defile the temple? What happened yesterday that has kept you from God? You know what? When we get born again, when we get saved, when we get made right with God through Jesus Christ, we don't stop sinning just to prove we're better people. We stop sinning because sin gets between us and God. And the more I can get rid of that stuff out of my life, the more of God I can have. You can see that this being the temple demands holiness on the part of the follower of Jesus. The stones of the temple are made holy by the Lord. Why should we then choose to live in any unholy way? You see, Paul wasn't done. He went on in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. Let me read through chapter 7 and verse 1. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And Paul concludes to that. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Do you love the Lord today? Do you want to love Him more? You can. Do you want to live more and more in the way you know God deserves uh, to be honored and, and to be lived for? Well, you can. You can, but it will require something of you. You see, it will require you to come out from among some of the stuff that is keeping you from being holy as you ought to be. And God will help you if you'll do that. There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. And God will always make a way to escape. trouble is, the trouble is, we're all going to be honest. I'll speak for us all. The trouble is, we don't take the way because we don't want to escape. You see, when we do wrong, it's because we chose it. When we sin, and we do, is because we didn't take the escape route. We went straight smack dab down the highway of rebellion, and we went full steam ahead right into it. Now there's grace. Amen. And there is forgiveness of sin. Amen. I'm glad for the cross this morning, but I'm glad for the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, the Spirit now dwells in us. God now lives in us. And you know, there ought to be something inside of you that compels you to say no. I don't want to live that way. I won't live that way. And when you mess up, there's something inside of you that says, I'm getting up and I'm going again. I'm not quitting. I'm not going to believe that I'm a failure. I'm not going to believe that I can't live holy. I'm going to trust the Spirit of God in me. I'm going to trust the promises of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to live victorious because He lives. I can live His life in me to live holy, to live separated unto God. This shouldn't be grievous to the believer. How can it be anything but the deepest desire of our heart if we've been made new in Christ? If Christ lives in us, explain how we could live without a desire to be holy and faithful. Now I say again, we are not perfect, but surely we are being perfected. And if we are being perfected, is there not evidence of true growth and holiness and devotion to God that inhabits our very being? Do you see that growth? Can you see? Can you tell? Can you see how you're growing in the Lord? How you're maturing in Christ? How your love is growing for Him? How your walk is growing closer from the inside? Jesus is the chief cornerstone upon which the new eternal temple of God is built. I am a stone of God's grace. If you're saved this morning, you are a stone of God's grace. And you've been placed As a part of that temple, veil in the old temple was rent. It's done. We don't have to go there anymore. I mean, I'd go to Jerusalem if somebody wanted to send me, if I had time. And I'm not, I'm not even kidding about that. I've never had a great desire to go to to Israel, but I'm sure I would enjoy it if I went. But I got to tell you something. You see, all that. That's great and wonderful. And he's coming back to the mount one day. I, I don't know about how it all works, but I know he's coming. And I, I'll see it one day. And i tell you what, I'm wanting to see him right here, right now, every day. I like to wake up every morning and look for him, don't you? I like to wake up every morning and listen for his voice. I like to live out what that song says in the garden. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. I like that. I want to live that way. Now I got to close because you, you you're wanting to go to Sunday school. First Peter chapter one, <clears throat> he says something. I'm going to turn uh, First Peter chapter one and First Peter chapter two, and I don't have time to hit it all, so I'm going to shorten it down. But first Peter chapter one, he's introducing his letter, and he makes this statement. He says in verse three, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again." unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, you know, I'm a, let, me, let me just make this mm, real and practical or whatever. I, I get much more animated preaching than I do just about any other time, any other place, any other where, any other circumstance. And I understand that. How I'm behaving now is not exactly the model for how you behave on the job, okay? Or in the mar- or marketplace. Although I've known some believers that get pretty excited in public. And, 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 and it, it has an effect. It's good. If it's real, it's good. But I want to ask a question. Having said all that, I want to ask a question. Honestly, honestly, have you been begotten again unto a lively hope? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I don't see a lot of Christians with lively hope. I don't you want to see church people get excited you you got to turn to the things of the world you got to you know it and I know it it's the fact of life but Peter said he's begotten us again unto a lively hope so one of two things is true either there's a whole lot of people sitting in the church that aren't saved never been joined to Jesus Or we've been disconnected from the message of the resurrection. Now, you have to know whether or not you're his. I can't tell you. But if you say, Preacher, ain't no doubt in my mind, I've trusted Jesus. I know He's my Savior. I believe on Him. I'm resting in Him for my eternal hope. I am. But preacher, I don't know. I'm not living with that kind of excitement in my soul that it's time for us to come back to the message of the resurrection and learn something about what it means to be born again and to live in the kingdom and to let our life be filled with God. You see, when we've been taught that it's okay to fill our life with everything else, there's no room for God. God's relegated to a few select hours in our week and that's not what God deserves he's God detour 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 I was listening to a guy yesterday talking about um uh, whether or not uh, the Bible uh, allows for there to be aliens oh it was fun I enjoyed it and the guy was answering the question he done a really good job with it it was just a question that that somebody had asked and and he said you know uh, There's been a lot of debate over that through the years. Uh, He said, I wouldn't hang my hope of eternal life on whichever way you go. But he made a statement. He said, but when I was studying this, and I won't get the names and numbers right. He said, when I was studying this, he said, one thing I did conclude, because the guy that was with him said, well, let me ask you this. If there were aliens, is it possible, do we need to be afraid that they could come and do harm to us? Because, you know, that's what all the movies are about, the alien invasion. And he said, well, I think I can answer that one. He said, from the research I did, he said the nearest star, and I don't remember the name of it, but it's polar or something, another, another. He said the nearest star, based on the time it took us in the Apollo mission to travel to the moon, which was three days, I think, he said the nearest star, it would take us 872,000 years to get there. He said that, and I was driving And I kept my hands on the wheel, but I said, Woo! Yes! That's big! I ain't exaggerating. It was almost like that. I was by myself in the car. But I had to play it again when I got Athena in the car. That's big! And, And I wasn't worried about the aliens. What it made me think was, How big God is! How big God is! Now there's an old worn out story, I'll just borrow it, you know it, and condense it down. About the little girl that said, if I've asked Jesus to live in me, and I'm as little as I am, he, as big as he is, shouldn't he stick out somewhere? I mean, there's merit to that story. He's a big God. If he dwells inside of us, how could we ever be the same? How could we ever live without lively hope? What stirs you? What stirs you? What, 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 you know, Jesus said, you fall on this, it'll break you. But if it falls on you, it's going to crush you to powder. I don't know that I understand all that, but I know this. I fell on it one day. I've been broke. And every now and then, I still just kind of lay over on it, and it breaks me. It breaks me. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'm thankful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that I belong to Him and that I'm a stone in that temple. I don't have time to preach anymore, so I'll just direct you to go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and read that. But he talks about us being those stones in the temple. And it's a great passage of Scripture. And if you look at it, you'll see. You'll see that he talks about our position, that we've been chosen and placed just in the right spot in the temple. You have a place you fit in. You, you fit in this fellowship today thank God for that and and he tells us that we have a purpose we're a priesthood to offer up praises unto God you know the world ought to hear that every now and then I don't do it I don't know if it's because I'm not bold enough or because it 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 is what I tell myself that I don't want to be a jerk but uh, you know how you go to places you pull up at gas stations and people are just blasting their music like I don't care that they listen to that. that that's fine but I didn't choose to listen to that and I always say to myself I ought to crank up the primitive quartet As loud as I can right here Now I I, I think that that's probably being a jerk But you know what I ought to be a temple in, In such a way that the praises of God Are so much constant in my heart That if I have a chance to speak to that person I'd never speak to that person with a bad attitude I'd never speak to that person Blasting their radio like they're the bad guy I'd speak to them with love I'd speak to them the praise of God that's the way we ought to live because we're stones we're in the temple he talks about our praise we've been called out and we made new and he talks about our pattern which is to live like Jesus every day so would you bow your heads with me just a moment the resurrection was the beginning of the new temple the holy indwelling of God and his people this new temple is the way in which we carry forth the great commission which was the order that Christ gave after his resurrection. It's what we're to be doing. That's why we're here on this earth right now, each one of us. So if you're a stone in this building, what we've learned today is that you are to be perfecting holiness in the fear of God, laying aside the weight and the sin which besets our service for Jesus. Now, dear listener, is your hope a lively hope? Are you serious about this life in Christ? Does your life bear the fruit of joyful hope? Are you living in the faith of of the living Jesus? You've got to search your heart this morning. I'm going to ask you to do that. We're going to stand in just a moment. Will you search your heart? Paul said this, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He said, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. So know this. Know this. If you cannot say for certain that you are in Christ... And that Christ is in you. I want you to know this. He's risen. He's risen. He died on that cross in your place for your sin. And He's risen today so that you can live in that victorious life. Not bound by sin. Not on your way to hell. You can know that you are His. That you have been forgiven. That you have been delivered. And that you are being empowered, indwelt by the living God. Hebrews 7 says this, But this man, Jesus, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed. Folks may want to respond. One of them will come to the altar this morning and pray. Maybe you want to come and thank Jesus for who He is and what He's done. Thank Him for making you a a stone in the temple of the living God. Maybe you need to come this morning. Bring your heart to the Lord. Receive His forgiveness. Receive that new life that Jesus offers through His cross and through His resurrection. Oh, friends, one day He's coming again. We ask that question, are you ready? Are you ready this morning?